Operative Nonsense, a podcast for GMs, DMs, and everyone in between, where we're learning to be better DMs little by little. And we're bringing you along for the ride. I'm Mike. And I'm Matt. And today, we're just going to introduce ourselves and kind of give you an idea of what this podcast is all about. We're going to test a few segments, hopefully have some feedback from you guys. And over time, we're going to develop a real smooth, streamlined storytelling apparatus, not just for you, but also for us. But for now, you're going to have to bear with us. Sorry about that. (laughs) Matt, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to the fine folks on their earbuds. Hey, guys. So my name's Matt. I have been DMing for around uh, about a year and a half, two years. I'm by no means an expert, but uh, with a variety of uh, experiences in various uh, game systems, primarily Dungeons and Dragons, uh, I have a a small to medium amount of experience with, uh, with Dungeons and Dragons. I'm a fanatic. I own every book now. I love it to death. I couldn't imagine myself playing any other type of game. So that's recently, but how did you start off? Oh, when I was a kid, honestly, I actually didn't play a lot of tabletop role playing games. I was more of a video game player and a little bit of Magic the Gathering. Growing up, it was like I said, it was video games. And it wasn't until college, actually, where I really started getting into role playing games and um, board games, more tabletop variety games, and uh, I haven't looked back since. Yeah, and I'm actually not too far off, and not to almost repeat everything Matt just said, but I am definitely the more novice DM here. I joined Matt's session a little bit over a year ago now, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it sounds around there. Matt was running little singleton, you know, dungeon crawl campaigns at the local game shop where I had just started playing Magic, and yeah, from there we kicked off a whole campaign and built our own world, and from the get-go I've loved to just craft the world and you know alongside matt and our uh, friend grant and recently uh, i was given the opportunity to dm our session so matt could take a spin of being a character pretty similarly i mostly played video games growing up in the 90s it was kind of the pinnacle of nerddom to play D, and it was a dirty word oh, <laughs> for a lot oh of people. ain't that the truth um Not that it ever mattered. My dad did actually pull out. Actually, it started with a Pokemon role playing game because I was all the craze in the 90s. And there was a Wizards of the Coast actually owned Pokemon early on. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I know at some point there was some kind of deal where it got bought back up by Nintendo or something. But for a short while, they had little mini uh, role playing game campaigns. I remember you were playing as like Ash Ketchum or another uh, Pokemon trainer and you got attacked by Spearows like in the first episode of the pokemon show or something gosh that was forever ago but after that after he saw that we could handle that um my dad just got the starter edition for oh man i guess it would be was it third or fourth edition in the it would been like three three point five ninety nine two thousand i'm not i'm by no means an expert so you uh, feel free to add in the comments which uh, version of dungeons and dragons uh came out in uh the late 90s early 2000s but i'm going to I'm going to put my Matt guess at it was 3.5 or 4th edition. I'm going to say 3.5. We could certainly use a D&D historian, so if you would like to apply, just go ahead and leave a comment down below, and we will certainly be taking those applications because I don't know. It comes with no pay, but lots of benefits. (laughs) There are actually no benefits. Don't be promising things we can't fulfill, Matt. Well, I uh, promise lots of things I can't fulfill. <laughs> anyway, so from there, yeah, we played that campaign. I got to start playing my Paladin, which I've stuck with ever since. Every game I played, um, which included Baldur's Gate, which was like my real like deep dive into Dungeons and Dragons type gameplay. Obviously, it was a little bit, you know, uh, more streamlined and you could do silly things and um, 
Baldur's Gate, luring people into hallways and just destroying them all with a single fireball, but it still had a lot of carryover with the monsters and, you know, just the uh, land of the Forgotten Realms really, oh, when you're a kid, it just, it's incredible. <laughs> and really ignited my imagination for world building and yeah, just making really great characters. And that led to where we are today. Yeah, for now, we're just going to test out a few segments and if you let us know in the comments what you think, that'd be incredible. And we sure would appreciate it. But again, the number one goal of this podcast is for us to get better as DMs and hopefully as we discuss the things we've learned you know, in the past week and talk about the new things that we get and hopefully eventually we can have some seasoned DMs on the podcast to give us you know, maybe some tips and tricks that we can pass on to you guys. So, Matt, what's our first segment going to be? The first thing that we wanted to test out was a creep of the week. Creep of the week. This is one of the things that we're going to try to do to help kind of flex our dungeon master game master muscles and suggest to the audience a creature that in this particular instance I have picked out of the monster manual and Mike does not know what it is and I'm going to begin to describe it based off its appearance and then maybe if he still can't guess it I'll start giving a few of its attributes maybe some of its abilities and if he can guess it then uh, that'll just be a nice fun guessing game for me to watch him flounder but Ultimately, uh, we want to take one of these creatures and then we want to break it down, show where these creatures could potentially appear, what ways you could use them as a dungeon master in your games. Because, again, like uh, like Mike mentioned, our goal is to to help not only ourselves grow based off of learning from our past experiences with the game that Mike is the campaign that Mike is currently running, but also uh, to help you, the audience grow in the same respect by maybe helping foster some uh, some innovative ideas in your mind. Now, uh, without further ado, I'm going to crack open the old monster manual. All right. All right. Here we go. This is a large monstrosity. Okay, so for, you know, anybody that's like a brand new DM, what does the designation large mean? Uh, Large is bigger than medium. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think size wise, it's anything that has a like a height or length exceeding that of a normal size humanoid. So something I would guess probably seven feet long or larger or tall. It's bigger than a human. That's uh, (laughs) a... All right. That's that's about as far as I think I need you to go. You know what I'm saying, though. So if you're brand new to the game, typically this designation means that the monster is big enough that it might cause some problems if we're trying to, like, move past it. Or if you're a halfling, like our friend Grant, that means you might be able to walk past it more easily because you're tiny. So, yep. Just something to keep in mind. All right, so it's a big monster. It's what a big monster. It is completely dark in its coloring. Like I said, it's a it's a uh, it's a monstrous type creature. So it is not a uh, a standard flora or fauna. This isn't going to be an owl bear. Okay. But this also isn't going to be a demon or a fiend. It has more than four limbs. Oh boy. Two mm. of which are on its back. Does this creature, by any chance, have the capability to phase in and out? Why, Mike? Yes, it does. All right. You know that I know what creature this is, but I am totally blanking on the name. It's a displacer beast. It is a displacer beast. <laughs> Thought of it just as I said that. All right. So I guess so, we're starting out pretty easy here. Yes, we are. Eventually, we'll, we'll get <laughs> a little harder. Th- I wanted to throw him a nice softball. Yeah, Matt's teeing this up because um, in the last uh, episode. 
don't know what you want to call those. The last session of our dungeon. Yeah, the last session that we ran on our campaign, Matt's character actually obtained a Displacer Beast as a pet. Um, I uh, totally uh, subdued that that very angry creature. and uh, You also killed its mate. And I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> That's true. Other Matt did. Yeah. There uh, is actually another Matt. This isn't some sort of euphemism. So I can actually explain a bit about this beast since, again, I actually put one in the last session. So Displacer Beast is kind of a feline-like creature. Like Matt said, it's typically like black, purplish kind of look. They uh, serve evil masters. They're kind of like the evil cat from uh, Inspector Gadget, but much larger and have scary tentacles with spines on them. (laughs) As well as having six legs. Yeah, it's pretty crazy looking and pretty deadly too. They're Um, quite deadly. I might have... Not judge how powerful you guys were properly, though, because it wasn't much of a fight. <laughs> well, it doesn't help that we had someone drop a fireball right in the middle of what happened to be a fight between a troop of baboons a and Congress, right? a, con- or, yeah. or a Congress of baboons. Yeah, we had to look it up. A Congress of a baboons. Congress of baboons and uh, two displacer beasts. Yeah. Um, that quickly turned into a baboon barbecue, and I did not realize that they were so weak. But they are incredibly weak. <laughs> Our uh, mage in the group, Kelsey, uh, also known as Harva in the game, rolled pretty well and actually would not have needed to roll very well at all to kill these baboons, even though I put like 12 of them in the fight between them and the Displacer Beast. So. <laughs> Definitely a learning experience for you when it comes to the uh, challenge rating yeah. of uh, of your party versus your uh, the monsters you intend to have us fight. Which now, is definitely a topic we will cover. Yep. A few, um, without reading verbatim from the monster manual, um, these creatures came from the Feywild, and through various uh, events, they escaped into various uh, planes, primarily the material plane, which is the plane that uh, essentially you would call regular space, where your players normally inhabit. They also have a diehard hatred of blink dogs, which are dogs that have a similar ability to kind of phase, or in the case of blink dogs, teleport from place to place. They will attack each other on sight. Now, so, kind of lazy shorthand for cats Cats hate, hate dogs. dogs, and dogs hate cats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, they, um, they are insanely good hunters, and they love to hunt. They will work together, kind of like how wolves do in a pack where one will chase a creature into a designated kill zone where others of uh, the same pack or group will then attack and tear it to pieces. And like uh, like Mike pointed out, these creatures are um, capable of being either bent forcefully to the will of a usually evil aligned of some kind uh, character or um, NPC as uh, in order to act as bodyguards or as like temple guards, things like that. So places where you could potentially use a displacer beast, you can use them in a variety of environments um, due to the fact that they can be used as guards of both individuals or of locations, as well as their um, their capacity as excellent hunters. What do you think? Do you think uh, you could use these in, say, uh, like an underground uh, dungeon, maybe? No, that's where I'd probably, you know, it, it would be a little weird to, to find one of these. I mean, you could certainly make a case for it, but you'd have to have some kind of evil master that, you know, that they're guarding or something. But honestly, in the wild, even, they are a little bit odd to have set up in the wild because they're not 
you know, your standard beast, I, I wouldn't say. I thought they were a little more intelligent than they were, I gotta say, in my headcanon of, you know, like, uh, seeing them in other media. They are actually not that intelligent, nope. <laughs> if you look at the stats. Uh, uh, let's, let's. You don't have to go by the stats in the book, of course. Well, of course not. You that can always have examples of a species that we're stand always out. Gonna, Their intelligence is a six, yeah. which is a minus two modifier. Something so. I always want to stress on this podcast, the books are suggestions. Like, if you really want to have an engaging story... Go off book every once in a while, and, you know, that's something that we're going to explore because we do that a lot. <laughs> you know, there's um, the books are great for, you know, laying the ground rules, but there's so much creativity. And I mean, that's part of the point of the game. Obviously, not everybody's going to want to do that. And we do not fault you at all. You know, something we'd love to make a campaign book ourselves, you know, that you can run if, you know, if you just want to have a streamlined, nice adventure. But, you know, part of the point of this podcast is going to be coming up with ideas that you can used to customize your campaign and you know, really make it engaging for your players. So yeah, at least from our end, we say don't be tied down to everything in the book. Oh yeah. That being said, <laughs> it certainly helps to have shorthand and follow the stats on the monsters, especially with the challenge ratings. Cause like Matt said, I totally misjudged that. I, and I, I wasn't going for like a hard, like you guys are, close to being dead type fight, but I did expect them to put up a little more of a fight than they did. <laughs> yeah. So, and, um, for future reference, um, in Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition challenge rating works based off of the assumption that it's a party of four and that the level, the CR, the challenge rating is based off of the average level. So add all the levels of your players together, divide by the number of players so you have five, you have four level five characters, a CR rating five monster. One of them will be considered a challenge for the party, not something that they'll easily wipe off the board in one turn, but also not necessarily something that'll kill them all in a single turn itself. That being said, you can't necessarily go just off of challenge rating. You can sometimes have players that even though they're level five, they may possess artifacts or items that they have acquired in their adventures that make them particularly formidable against certain types of enemies. Having someone with a blade that is silvered going up against a werewolf or a group of werewolves may normally be a challenge, but due to the fact that that weapon will do increased damage to that werewolf, it lowers the challenge. So you have to kind of add these pros and cons and provisos to any sort of challenge rating that you're putting up against your party. Now, in the case of these displacer beasts, they you can kind of look at these creatures in respect to what what is the party strong against? What is the party weak against? These creatures are capable of making themselves very hard to hit. And if you have characters that can only hit once, maybe twice, not a lot of rapid fire attacks like a monk or um, or a rogue or a blood hunter or. <laughs> warrior yeah there there's definitely so many strengths and weaknesses that you can you know it's another thing that takes creativity is encounter compositions so yeah that was a good learning moment for me but you cannot ever count out the fun factor and setting up 12 baboons for our mage to turn into baboon barbecue what just made her night (laughs) she wanted to do that forever so you know i mean the nice part about being a game master sometimes the most ridiculous stuff turns into the most memorable stuff and that is a good example of that that night she kept talking about it and even the next day she mentioned that she had a lot of fun you know just casting a fireball and destroying 12 things in one shot <laughs> you know that's what so, fireballs do best right yep for sure mike if you if you were to come up with right now 
if you were going to use Displacer Beasts again in any campaign setting and however you want to use it, what would be the best way you think you would use a Displacer Beast? So I was going to give it another shot. I feel like I would have them in a dark castle. The party is stalking through the hallways, not, you know, wary of traps, knowing that up ahead, the final boss is waiting for them. And then somebody rolls a good enough perception roll and they hear light added footsteps and behind them a shimmer appears on the carpet. And that's when the party realizes that the bosses, uh, displacer beasts have been following them the whole time because they have active camouflage now. They don't actually have active camouflage, they but have, they have the ability they can to phase, they can make themselves displace themselves yep. as the name would imply. But you're getting my point. I, I think it would be super cool to have them stealth because I bet they they actually they would be really great at stealthing. They have 18 they, dexterity. I yes, think. they do. So, yeah, and you could totally set up a, and it's essentially way, I would a have panther. them stock a party next time. But like when these guys ran into them, they were already fighting these baboons and a little more context. Not to play out my handle you know, too much here. But after, oh, I, I guess I gave you a pretty I'm, good clue. I'm going to put my fingers in my ears. <laughs> la, 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 la. Because <laughs> we actually haven't gotten uh, that. This like when Matt got his Displacer Beast, it was the very last session. So on the other Displacer Beast um, of the pair that perished in the fight, I gave the players a clue as to where these Displacer Beasts came from with a collar that had uh, initials on it. Right now, they're uh, on a path to fighting a Pirate Queen. And I think I pretty heavily <laughs> implied that you know, they were likely serving um, one of the pirates, at least not, you know, no exact names or anything yet, but I gave them a clue. And that, that was something I set up. It, you know, I figured it did say that they served masters and things like that. So I gave it some context. But next time I wouldn't do it out in the jungle necessarily. I think they're a little cooler. Just the overall aesthetic of like being stalked through, you know, through like a stone hallway by this like cat like creature that can, you know, like uh, hide you know in the shadows and then jump out. That seems really cool to me. What about you, Matt? How, how would you, um, use them? you see, it's funny. Like you are stepping away from the jungle where I like the idea of similar to what you were saying. You have someone who ha- through some sort of means has has dominated the will of these creatures and has set them the task of defending like a nondescript looking kind of cave. But they're not sitting right outside like statues. They're inside waiting for anything to come in for them to kill. Now, this nondescript location may be where this bad guy is hiding their loot. Or maybe it's the most recent archaeological find that they have found in order to get some interesting magical items or artifacts. And these creatures are set to guard it when he's not there or she's not there. And so similarly, the party is like, oh, what's this? And, you know, maybe one displacer beast would be like, oh, no, gets engaged with the party and being intelligent enough in like the the instincts of the hunt kind of calls upon its uh, natural hunting and seeks pulling the party potentially recklessly into this uh, into this cave system or this ruin where it is. They are then set upon by a large group of these displacer beasts that have been dominated by this unknown individual. Again, these can also be, you you can set the, based in your own headcanon, you can set how common or uncommon these creatures are. You can make them something that is almost never seen, something that is spoken of almost with a folkloric level of disbelief in its existence 
to something that, you know, you're like, hey, don't kids don't go play in the forest after dark because there's displacer beasts out there just the same way as you would say there's wolves out there. You can also play with it like that. These creatures can be incredibly common or they can be incredibly rare. Yeah. And based off that, that informs how you would use them and where you would use them. Overall, though, like if I were to give this like a cool factor, like a creature that looks like this and does the things it does, I give this like a solid eight. Like I think it is an incredibly well-designed creature and I think it has a lot of potential uses. Yeah, so that's another thing we're going to do is start a compendium of ratings for just how cool we think monsters are for our own benefit and for you guys i mean we definitely want to hear your opinion if you think that you know creatures not as hot trot as we say it is or if you think it's way cooler like how are we not seeing how cool this creature is let us know in the comments oh, yes yeah. tell us tell us how you would use a displacer beast and once we get our uh, website up we'll Maybe make our own little compendium. That'd be kind of cool. That so would be cool. Flip through and you can see, you know, maybe you're struggling for an idea for uh, what, what kind of creature am I going to put in this encounter? And we'll put up our notes um, alongside the rating that we want to give it. And yeah, it might be just a quick guide for a place to find something to do. So or something to include. So Matt said Nate and I think I'll go ahead and agree with him. <laughs> I can definitely tell that you liked getting this as a pet oh oh that is gonna be a that, whole other bag of cats yeah that we're gonna have uh, to work through oh <laughs> um, ultimately thankfully um the responsiveness of the um the people the lovely people over at dungeon masters block uh podcast uh, responded to my tweet when i asked them actually about like are are there any concessions or any changes that should be made to a creature like a displacer beast if a player actually acquires one as a pet and they said no Really, you just look at the level of the party. Now, if you're a bunch of level one players and you acquire a displacer beast somehow as a pet or as a servant, that might upset the balance of the party. But if you're playing, in our case, a bunch of level six characters and you have a creature that's a CR three, it's not really going to affect the party's overall capacity to do damage. It is an additional body that is capable of taking a turn and doing damage, but it's not going to be able to wipe huge amounts of enemies off the board and having that sort of creature alongside you is going to have its also have its list of problems you can't necessarily just walk into a town with a six-legged panther with tentacles on its back yeah (laughs) walking next to you i mean you can but you're gonna upset a lot of people and you walk into the wrong town people are gonna try to kill it so yep and it'll it'll offer a nice check and balance in both a um, a storytelling element as well as a combative element. So you get to also consider these things with something as simple as giving a player an unusual servant or having the player earn that sort of unusual ser- servant. And what if that servant determines they're unworthy or uh, they're not worth following anymore? You could have the creature turn on them at a pivotal moment in combat, which also has its its huge implications for story. Yep, and that's something we're going to definitely maybe even dedicate a whole episode to because that seems pretty interesting, you know, balancing uh, pets and special items, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully somebody a little more experienced than us that has done this before could give us some good advice. Cause... Matt Mercer, Matt Colville, uh, this is your call to action. <laughs> um, please yeah. call me at 555. Please, God, get on my podcast. All right, so really, if you want to contact us, we do have an email. It's a cooperative nonsense at gmail.com. We got it. Woo. Uh, <laughs> Woo. 
starting out, you'll probably notice if you're an early listener, you're probably listening to us on YouTube. Eventually, we are going to have a website uh, still scoping out some domains. And uh, and we'll definitely um, also end up on uh, iTunes and yeah, uh, yeah, everywhere your fine podcasts are uh, audibly consumed. Yep. Yep. So that was the uh, Creep of the Week segment. Uh, let us know how you liked it. We'll try to keep it a little more focused in the future, but for this episode, that's going to be our our main chunk of content. In the future, we're going to squeeze that down a little bit so we can get these other two segments we're going to introduce here in as well and, you know, keep it to a reasonable time. What's Um, that next segment, Mike? So the next segment will be the DM moment of the week. DM moment of the week. DM moment of the week. This one possible that we won't always have content for, but we're going to try to go back to our most recent session that we had with our with our group and uh, discuss it. And in the future, maybe you can even send in uh, one of your DM moments that you've had. And we oh, can, we'd love to. We'd love to look over your, yeah, your great and, DM uh, moments. Yeah, and discuss how it could be valuable to other Dungeon Masters, Game Masters. I'll uh, maybe tease one uh, that we'll discuss a little more next week. I guess actually my very first uh, session uh, being Dungeon Master Mm -hmm. on the fly I came up with a uh, I think a pretty decent system for uh, navigating the jungle the party is currently traveling their way up the coast of a uh, volcanic island and I wanted to have an engaging way that they could do travel without just saying and now you travel for five hours by foot (laughs) so uh, you know I wanted to make it a little more engaging and came up with this grid system again I'll Tell you about it next week, so make sure and tune in if that sounds interesting to you. And Matt, what will be the third segment on each show? Uh, the third segment, Mike, is going to be kind of our uh, our creative rundown. We kind of actually, in a way, teased this system during our uh, Creep of the Week segment where we will be given a topic by a viewer or, um, you know, someone from our current uh, D&D campaign, random topic or subject that a dungeon master may need to build off of. And uh, we will each get three, four or five minutes, whatever we decide to elaborate as best we can on an interesting use for that particular thing, like just, you know, port city or magical sword. Something as simple as a magical sword can have so many different things attached to it, both good and bad, and being able to just kind of give us a time limit to just rattle off and come up with something really interesting. Um, We will, of course, like I said, take suggestions from you, our wonderful listening public, and uh, we're always interested in um, what you would come up with in a in a similar amount of time. So please feel free to share that with us. Yep, and uh, definitely always want to have your guys' engagement on this. So any suggestions you have, and who knows, maybe it'll become a segment on the show if uh, we start running out of material for something. Or (laughs) I think we've got some a pretty deep well to dig through here. One of our favorite aspects of this is just world building and brainstorming, bouncing ideas. I gotta say, almost like it more than playing sometimes, but I do also very much enjoy being a game master. Yeah, stay tuned until next week. Uh, make sure and hit us up on social media. Uh, we'll have a Facebook page up soon that will be a uh, cooperative nonsense. We'll also start a Twitter account, but if you want to directly talk to either myself or Matt on Twitter, my handle is at Mythic Tales Mike. 
And uh, I'm at the Kobold Squad. And for now, you'll if you're seeing this on uh, YouTube, it'll be up on my channel where I do animations for Magic the Gathering. And it's going to be a destination for all sorts of stuff. Eventually, we might do some tabletop videos and uh, you'll see interviews and little mini documentaries, hopefully down the road. Not going to promise anything just yet, but it's something I've got in the works. You, you'll see right now if you go on there, I actually do have quite a bit of content. So go ahead and subscribe to the channel and Check it out if you like that sort of thing. <laughs> like, comment, and subscribe. Yeah. Do it. Do it now. Do it. Do it. But if I may make one final note, Mike. Yes. We, what we do as Dungeon Masters is we tell a story, but it is not entirely on the Dungeon Master to tell the story. Our job is to facilitate the players weaving a story organically in a world. And that same concept between you and me also connects to our audience. Your engagement will not only help us, but also help you and those like you have a more enriching experience. So we look forward to engaging and growing and creating alongside you. Now, Mike, you had an interesting way to sign off this podcast. Um, guys, he he wants, he wants to end it, and we may change this. Uh, he wants to end with a quote... With from the Dungeons and Dragons film, the infamous or famous, however you want to look at it, Dungeons and Dragons film starring the wonderful Jeremy Irons. So, um, oh god, <laughs> and Marlon Wayans, <laughs> and Marlon Wayans. Um, but what what do you got for me now, Mike? And now a dramatic reading from probably not Oscar nominated movie, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, the character of Elwood. The problem with elves is that they ain't got no meat on their bones. You gotta get yourself a nice 250 pound dwarf with hair on her chin you can hang on to. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, Christ. Thanks for listening. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> outro music, outro music. <laughs> oh, God, what have we done? 